Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeld. I'm your host. Today, I'm here with Nancy Warner. Nancy is founder and CEO of AssurePack. Nancy has a background in package engineering with over 30 years of experience in the pharmaceutical industry space. We're going to talk a little bit about what she's doing in the cannabis space today. Nancy, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I always like to have guests start by just giving a sense of their background. Everyone's got an interesting story in terms of how they got into the cannabis space. Give us a sense of professionally kind of where you started and how things led up to doing what you're doing today. Sure. My background is that I am a package engineer by degree and have spent my career in the packaging industry. For most of my career, I was in the pharmaceutical packaging industry, starting out at a pharma company as the manager of package engineering and then transitioned over to the supply side, supplier side, and worked in business development for some of the major pharmaceutical contract packaging companies, working with big pharma, small generic pharma, virtual pharma. And as a contract packager, we worked with every aspect of their industry. We're an extension of their facility. So we handled everything from development of the packaging through manufacturing, through distribution. So the bulk product would come to our facility and we would actually do the packaging. We were controlled by the FDA and DEA like a pharma company. So I have a pretty broad background. Yeah. And what just, you know, I'm I'm always curious about the details of some of these industries. Like what goes into packaging? Like what what are the variables or the facets that you're looking at when you go at sort of designing 
packaging for a product like this? So from the pharmaceutical perspective, it's very specific and, and it starts with a very functional attribute, which is providing the shelf life and the attributes of extending and the shelf life and also giving you the marketing information that you need and also providing child resistant features. Mm-hmm. Automation is very important in the pharmaceutical industry and um, compliance, there's there's just a range of, of things that have to be considered when developing a package. Oh, uh, so this is, this is actually the sort of the degradation of, of the material itself, of the actual chemical in the drug. Sure, figuring sure. Out that expiration to, date, the expiration yeah. date you get on the, on the outside of your package is determined by testing the product in the package. So the package huh. contributes to providing that shelf life. Yeah. And then obviously, you know, when you're dealing with very large production volume stuff, it's, it's got to actually be producible. So like, how does it all Absolutely. go together in a way that is consistent and, and is going to have a high quality sure. process? Got it. So let's talk a little bit about, I'm curious what you've been able to kind of transfer or parlay from the pharmaceutical industry and the experience you've had into the cannabis space and what, like what's applying for you, what's not applying, like how, how is it similar? How is it different? Okay. So going into the cannabis space, I had to basically reverse engineer a lot of the pharmaceutical type of packages that I'm familiar with so that they were on a smaller scale, lower volume semi-automatic process because the volumes are just not there yet in the cannabis space. We talk about volumes on the pharmaceutical side. What are what are the units? Multi-million volumes and yeah. running high speeds of 300 packages a minute in the pharmaceutical industry with multi-million dollar packaging lines that you invest in, yeah. as opposed to running tens and hundreds of thousands in the cannabis space. Yeah. So it's yeah. very different. Uh, so what I did in my basic idea was taking a business model that is existing today, and that was the institutional pharmacy market. And that's a market that supports places like nursing homes and prisons, and they prepackage the product into these blister packages. Mm -hmm. We call them bingo cards. And there are small-scale businesses across the country that do this. They actually buy the pharmaceutical products, package them, package it per patient, individual, on a monthly basis, and then supply that to that end location. And they have small-scale equipment, preformed components, and it's done on a local level. So in my mind, that was a good business model for the cannabis industry because they have to package what they produce in their own facility. You cannot cross state lines. So there's no economy of scale from a packaging perspective. So the biggest hurdle um, for that particular business model was getting a child-resistant package because those uh, packages for the institutional pharmacies do not not have to be child-resistant. So... I have um, a relationship with a a manufacturer who developed one of the best child-resistant blister packages that's uh, used in the pharmaceutical industry. I approached him and I said, would you give me exclusivity to market your package in the cannabis industry? And he said yes, because he knows I know what I'm doing and I would protect his IP and do it right. And Mm -hmm. so that was the package and how I started my business. Fascinating. I'm curious about the actual, the mechanics or the engineering of the proofing itself. I think there's always the joke of, you know, the parents that can't open the, the childproof things to give it to their right. kids to figure out how to open it. Right. Like, what, what do you actually do or what are the mechanics or the things that you do to make something uh, child resistant or childproof from a um, packaging point of view? Well, there is a standard and the standard is created Uh, by the Consumer Product Safety Commission, who is the government agency responsible for overseeing and regulating child-resistant packaging. And there is a protocol test that is required 
that we submit our to a third party authorized um, ASTM certified testing agency that okay. we give our packages to to test. And there are two parts to the test. One is a, the testing children, and the children are, are of a certain range of age and a mix of boys and girls, mm -hmm. and it's evenly distributed between the ages and the sexes. And then the other half of that test is a senior-friendly test where we we actually yeah. test seniors. So you have to pass both parts of this test. You have to pass keeping children out while allowing adults to get in. It's a very challenging challenging uh, proposal to try and have this do become yeah. a, a, something that you can create a package. And yeah. uh, the testing is quite expensive. It can run ten dollars to $20,000 per package. Yeah. Uh, so it, it can get expensive when you have multiple packages. I've I've tested at least fifteen to twenty packages since I started my business. Wow! And and this is uh, sorry. This was a federal agency that does this. Yes, but what's interesting is that all the states who are regulating marijuana are calling yeah. and referring to the CPSC guidelines. Okay. But the CPSC, which is a federal agency, has no standing in the cannabis industry. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. It's it's. It's it's a juxtaposition because that's the standard, and there is no other standard really for what is considered to be child resistant. And so we are all testing this package through the, the CPSC guidelines and testing and going through the same agencies that Big Pharma uses for this this type of package testing. Just to make sure I understand it, so the states are basically saying we're going to use this packaging standard at a state level to mm -hmm. say whether or not something is uh, child resistant, child uh, sort of tamper proof. And then uh, the federal agency is basically saying we're, we're, you know, hands off. We're not, we're, we're not, Correct. we're not getting involved in sort of really certifying anyone in the marijuana space because obviously of the fe federal regulation issues. Correct. Correct. So almost every state that has, legalized marijuana, either medically or for adult use, yeah. has required child-resistant packaging as part of that legalization process, which is the right thing to do. Yeah. So they're, they're baking it into their, into their regulations in terms of the industry. So how does that show up? That means that any, anybody who is selling in dispensary um, um, cannabis or, I guess, a THC-based product in a dispensary is state law required to put it into a child-proof container packaging of some sorts. Okay, well, we can, we can take it a step further yeah. uh, back in the chain. And the, the, the goal is to have the manufacturers who are producing uh, okay. either infused or edible products or various different products to pre-package their products in a child-resistant package before it gets to the dispensary. There are also options within certain states that if that those products are not already in a child-resistant package when they mm -hmm. arrive at a dispensary, they have to leave the dispensary in a child-resistant package. And there are these packages, what they call exit bags, which are child-resistant zipper bags that many dispensaries use and many states are using. But especially on the edible and infused product side, it really needs to be done at the manufacturer level so that the dosing and the child resistant package is, is already in place. Think about it like going to CVS and getting yeah. uh, a non-child resistant package of uh, Advil or Tylenol and putting it into a child resistant bag. What do you do when you get home? You throw out the bag and you keep the package, <laughs> yeah. right? 
It's yeah. just consumer behavior. So yeah. if this industry doesn't really adapt the same model that you, you know, you keep it in the primary, what we call the primary package, where the product is in yeah. the package directly as the child-resistant package, which is really the intent of child-resistant packaging. Okay. I guess, where where is the industry at this point? If you kind of look across the states and the sort of what's been adopted, what dispensaries are doing, what manufacturers of, of uh, cannabis products are doing, what percentage or what level of products are using packaging uh, at the different levels? Well, in states where it's required, it's 100%. So, so if you look at Colorado, yeah. where a lot of this started, ground zero, like a yeah. lot of us call it, uh, the regulations, they worked very hard. And I think they did a great job of coming up with uh, sensible regulations. So all, all the products that are manufactured in Colorado come to the dispensaries, for the most part, in child-resistant okay. packages. So they're, they're doing it at point of manufacturing Yes, they are at this point. And so what else goes into this packaging? So we've talked about the sort of the child-proof, child-resistant ones. Are you, uh, like, how have you looked at some of these other things that you were looking at pharmaceutical in terms of expiration date, in terms of the, sort of the efficiency and the cost of the actual packaging process? What are some of the, the, the things you're working on from a packaging point of view on those factors? As you know, uh, the big push is in branding in the cannabis industry. So everybody is looking to create their own unique brand. And branding is a marketing function. And marketing and branding are graphic and mm -hmm. visual visual aspects of what the packaging has to support. So we do a lot of customization and mm -hmm. a lot of creative package, what we call package development work, uh, to uh, help support the branding efforts of our customers. Mm -hmm. So when I started the business, we had most almost everything was custom engineered and designed every every package we did. Okay. And over the past couple of years, I've focused on developing some standardized what I call standardized products that can be customized easily. So it's more of an inventory item that we can provide oh, to customers and then provide custom uh, supporting packaging or labeling for those. And that allows us to have a bigger, broader customer base mm -hmm. and to work with companies who, who don't necessarily have the volume to commit to equipment that they would need for some of these other customized type of packages to yeah. produce in their facility. Yeah. And uh, so just to give us a sense of where are you now as a business, what's the last couple of years been like, what, what have been some of the big, the, the big opportunities that you've been able to capitalize on? What are some of the challenges in making this whole thing work or, or producing this kind of packaging solution for the industry? Okay. Well, it's, um, it's astronomical growth. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's amazing to be part of this growth and this opportunity and to be maybe at the right place at the right time and have some great packaging solutions. Uh, the, there are many packaging companies in the cannabis space. Uh-huh. My business model is to have uh, packages that are unique to my company. So there are other solutions that people can use outside of my packages. But if they want to use the packages that I provide, then they're only available through a SurePack. And so that's that's how I've I've looked at this. It's challenging as far as inventory growth and 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 ordering cycles. Uh, it's not that sophisticated. Many of these products are new. There's no history. Yeah. So it's very hard to manage 
that aspect of this of the business. And so we have to take on some of the inventory risk uh, mm-hmm. for our customers in anticipation because there's just no basis of how to how to predict when California came on board last year with full legalization and as of July 1 they were required to use child resistant yeah. packaging and so all of a sudden there's a tremendous volume because California is such a huge market um, so it's it's been very interesting <laughs> yeah it's it's certainly I mean you know no pun intended but the the growth in the in the sector is um it has provided unique challenges to a lot of businesses um, in, in fact I'm, I, several people I've spoken to kind of talk about, you know, when we talk about well, what's the one thing they wish they did differently over the last couple of years, uh, a lot of them said grow faster, uh, just because it's it's been such a challenge to sort of keep up with the industry growth, even though they're growing at, you know, two to three times a year, um, mm-hmm. because the market is going so much bigger, they're still, they're actually shrinking in terms of their market, their their market percentage, like they're leaving so much on the table, uh, leaving so much room out there that they, they uh, sometimes they wish they actually grown faster. What, um, uh, when you look at your growth and you look kind of back at the last couple of years, anything that you would sort of do differently or things that you've learned uh, about the process now that you've kind of been in it for a while that, you know, if, if I had a magic wand and I, I sent you back two years <laughs> that, you would, uh, <laughs> that you would change or you'd think maybe differently about, no regrets, but just right. in terms of insights. Right. Well, I think staffing this business has been challenging and it's, it's a push-pull. You know, I don't want to overcommit to yeah. taking on staff when I'm really not sure where the volumes are going and how big this is getting. And um, maybe had I had a magic uh, crystal ball I, I would have staffed a couple of years ago in anticipation of what's happening now. But, you know, when you're starting a business and cash flow yeah. is really tight and uh, you don't want to overcommit and I'm pretty conservative in that way. And yeah. so I've just been doing whatever I can do to just man in a reactive way as opposed to a proactive way. Yeah. Do you, I'm curious because I've, I've spoken to a couple of people that have come out that a pharmaceutical industry and have gone into the this cannabis space. Do you notice a difference just in terms of kind of culture and approach and kind of this risk management and things like that in terms of your history and pharmaceutical and things that have helped you and, and have been real assets for you in terms of the cannabis and then, you know, maybe things that have been more of a challenge that, you know, that, that that's the way it was done there, but here maybe it doesn't serve you so well. Any insights on that? Well, I can tell you that many of my manufacturers in my supply chain are pharmaceutical packaging companies. Okay. okay. And the challenge is to work within their system, which is geared towards pharma. Mm-hmm. And my customers are not pharma, and I need to be very quick in terms of my response time and my lead times. And the planning cycle is very short. Every every customer has an immediate need. Everything is an urgent need. There is no pre-planning, so it's hard to have constant crisis management within your business and to work with manufacturers and suppliers who are used to being in a more consistent demand, well-planned-out industry. Mm-hmm. So that's been very challenging. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I, I came out of the tech space, and the whole kind of agile software development movement was was very much a response of that kind of shift from big waterfall, uh, you know, three-year plan projects to, you know, basically delivering software every two weeks and being very kind of fluid and iterative about how you approach it with these very you know, high, highly dynamic markets with changing customer needs and you know, competitive forces and stuff. So it's, it sounds like very much that same dynamic. 
Well, it's been very interesting because I have gotten some inquiries through my website from some major consumer product companies and pharma companies. And, and my response to them is basically, I'm not set up to support your business yeah. because I'm not. I would need a staff of 100 people yeah. to really work with those types of companies uh, just to support the kind of business model that they need, you know, in terms of all the different departments that have to support that business. So you're getting contacted by pharma companies for <laughs> using the, using the packaging you've developed for pharmaceutical products? No, for the new packaging I've developed for the cannabis industry. Oh, got it. So they, they mm-hmm. want to get in. Basically, they want to get on a cannabis game. No, they want the unique the unique child-resistant packages that oh, <laughs> we've been creating. Yeah. Because pharma, their packaging is not what you would consider creative and yeah. It's um, practical. <laughs> and it's very functional and practical. Yeah. So what's been very interesting and really a lot of fun is that the cannabis space is demanding much more creative yeah. packaging solutions, child-resistant packaging solutions for yeah. products, which has not existed before because child-resistant packaging was, for the majority, used only in pharmaceutical products. Yeah. So. This is a, a an interesting, not uncommon kind of conundrum that sort of successful growth companies get into, which is once they get some traction, a lot of times they get all these different opportunities. And like, you know, people come at them with, hey, we could use your product here, we could use your service here. And I think as you know, a founder, an entrepreneur, it, it can be a little distracting. It's like, how do you choose like which opportunities to go after and which do you not? I mean, it sounds like you've done a fairly good job of being able to say, look at some of those opportunities and say, look, no, you know, I'm not, <laughs> this is not the best move for me right now, even though it's potentially really shiny, <laughs> really mm-hmm. interesting. <laughs> right. It would be easy to chase that. How, I guess what's giving you the clarity or, or how have you been able to kind of look at that opportunity and say, hey, look, great opportunity, but it's not for us right now. Well, having been in business development and working with large corporations for most of my career, I understand what's involved and the challenges of dealing with big companies as a small business. The, The other aspect of this is that in the cannabis space, because of the banking issues and our customers don't have credit, that there aren't there aren't really terms available for us to offer our customers. You know, we're starting to and there's other companies who are starting to do this. But if I were to deal with big consumer product company or big pharma who want 60, 90 day terms, I'm just not set up to do that. So from a cash flow, you just don't have the cash 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 flow business alone. It does not make sense. So even even if it was significantly profitable, having to do a run of a million units, you know, puts you in such a cash deficit for that 90 days that it's not feasible. It's just not worth it. I'd rather have 25 more cannabis customers than one big consumer product company. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, that the whole credit issue is actually making it easier for kind of service providers for the cannabis space because everything does have to be on immediate terms. There's no, you know, because there is no banking, no financing. It right. actually improves your cash flow strategy. Because it's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. 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 No, we it's, used, it's, we this, used to call some of the terms at some of the big companies we worked at, I call them net never. <laughs> <laughs> they put <them> like, <laughs> net maybe. <laughs> net never. <laughs> yeah. It's been on that side. Yeah. This space is so fraught with these kind of funny nuances because of like the banking issues. It's like it creates this funny cash flow thing. The other thing I find is that, and I think this is a really good example where my guess is there's a lot of companies who would be normally would be moving into the space pretty quickly, but because because of the cannabis legality issues gives them pause because they don't want to taint the rest of their business. So they don't, it creates these kind of wide open markets in this, this really high growth space. I mean, what, what's your, you know, not that I'm looking for any 
hard prognostications on what's going to happen. But as you look forward in this industry, and, and particularly in your market, what happens when the federal federal legalization kind of works itself out and stuff? I mean, do you expect that the the pharmaceutical or the big the bigger pharmaceutical players in this space are going to come in pretty quickly? Are they going to do acquisition? I mean, are you how are you kind of thinking or positioning yourself for that? And when do you think it might occur based on what you've seen? Well, I don't think it's going to occur very quickly. Yeah. But I will say that that's most likely going to happen, whether it's big pharma, big alcohol, big tobacco. Mm-hmm. They're all on the sidelines working on this. Sure, they're ready. And as yeah. soon as they can, they will, will be in the space. I would like to be out by that time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Having, having left that corporate career and having had uh, that experiences for so long that becoming an entrepreneur and having my own business in this space and having the freedom of being in this new wild market has been so much fun. And yeah. it really is a creative endeavor. And uh, started, I had no idea what would happen when I started this. There was just no way to predict this. I basically did not want to work for anyone else again. <laughs> <laughs> not, not an uncommon story for a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, it's just like kind of get fed up with uh, right. with the current jobs and working, right. working for so, the big company. The other thing is I would have loved to have done this 10 years earlier when I was 10 years mm-hmm. younger, okay. as opposed to at this point in my life. But that were, there was no market. What, so what, I'm curious, because just being a lover of entrepreneurial stories, like what has been difficult that like, what have you found as being more challenging or that if you were 10 years younger would be easier to do? This is a tremendous amount of work. Yeah. I have never worked this hard in my life and I've, I've worked hard in my whole yeah. life. And as an entrepreneur, it's nonstop, you know, yeah. and, and starting Always it on. and doing everything. So your mind is never at ease, you know, because you're constantly having things, even when you're trying to like put it aside, you're still in the back of your mind having a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. So it's a big company with a lot of requirements. I could have a marketing person. I could have a, you know, multiple people <laughs> doing many different aspects of what a business needs. Yeah. But I don't have that type of staff. So yeah. it's just a tremendous amount of work. It's a lot of fun because I love doing all these different things. Yeah. But at some point you have to have a structured staff and you have to delegate and you have to mm-hmm. move on. And then your role becomes very different than it was in the beginning. Yeah, I think that's one of the uh, one of the key things people don't appreciate, I think, until they've kind of gone through the entrepreneurial journey. It's just how different it is. Like how, you know, when you're when it's just you and you're getting initial traction, when you, have, you know, kind of start working with the first couple of people, when you start scaling up, like each one of those stages is a major transformation for the CEO, for the founder CEO as they kind right. of go through those cycles. And quite honestly, sometimes they don't make it. I've seen a lot of companies that kind of cap out or struggle at a certain level because the leader is either unwilling or unable to to make those make those changes. Right. To- we no one can be good at everything. <laughs> You know, and I bring a certain skill set and a lot of expertise in many areas to this business, but not in others. So I seek out help where I can. And um, I think I like to delegate my daughter and my husband would say otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Delegation is in the eye of the receiver. (laughs) Interesting. So the audience here are, you know, various people that are kind of at different aspects of business. But for the earlier stage folks, for the people who are either thinking about starting a cannabis-based business or, uh, you know, have started and are kind of in the early stages of it, any particular advice, thoughts, things that you would advise them on or, or make sure that they consider either doing or thinking about as they're growing their business? Well, I would recommend trying to find a niche where your skill set brings some sort of 
value and something that is needed in the cannabis space. And because the cannabis industry is so large and it's yeah. growing so fast, I think there's a lot of opportunity. But I think knowing what you know how to do and applying that as opposed to say, oh, I think I would like to be a grower. You know, I know nothing about agriculture or growing <laughs> plants, but I think I would like All to my houseplants are dead, but I want to be, right. be a grower. Right, right. <laughs> And it's interesting for myself, having come from the contract packaging industry, where I handled drug product for many years and understand those risks and what was involved with that, having dealt with class two drugs with DEA and all those issues, my choice was not to deal with the product. You know, I think there's opportunities both sides. So you have to focus on exactly what you need are, what your risk tolerance is, and uh yeah. Just go for it. And I think that's a, a great point. And it's something that, you know, I hear again and again is that people keep focusing on, well, I'm going to I'm going to grow, I'm going to extract, I'm going to dispense, you know, but there's so much to this industry, you know, other than this core kind of chain where, you know, it needs everything, you know, it needs banking solutions, it needs marketing, it needs packaging, it needs consulting, it needs training. I mean, there's all these things that we need cannabis-specific solutions around, which makes this market so much bigger than just the core, you know, people that touch the plant. So um, any particular areas, like if you exited this business and you were looking at starting another thing in the cannabis space, what opportunities or what kind of nuggets have you seen out there that, hey, look, there may be some good opportunities for people to go in and and try to start developing some solutions or some products in, in terms of this kind of broader cannabis business market? Well, I think the the industry that I come from, the contract packaging industry, is a very unique model and I think could be a great model for the cannabis industry and um, somebody with experience and an entrepreneurial leaning will. And there are some companies out there, but not that much. And because you can do it still on a small scale on state by state basis, that you can get your feet wet without having to invest too much, you know, as far as um, I'm sensing a tractor trailer setup that I can drive from state to state. (laughs) Well, there are companies doing that. There's companies with packaging equipment. Let's say they're making transdermal patches and that equipment is very expensive. So there is a company out there that has it on a truck and they go from location to location and they'll run somebody's production for the year and then go and drive to the next place Uh, because not one company alone in the cannabis space can afford to invest that kind of money in that equipment at this time. So if we can't take the product to the equipment, we'll bring the equipment to the product. And people are doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating. That's why I love this space. <laughs> There's yeah, so many, so many yeah. interesting things going on. Nancy, this has been a pleasure. We're at, uh, we're, we're hitting time here. If people want to find out okay. more about you, about the company, and wh- and what you're doing, what's the best way to contact you or get more information? You can contact us at info at assurepack.com, and uh, I'd be happy to talk to you and uh, tell you more about the company and myself if you're interested. Yeah. And I appreciate it. I'll I'll make sure that those are that email is in the show notes and on the page for people listening. Again, this this is a pleasure. I am look forward to uh, hearing how the business continues to do, and I'm sure it's going to be an exciting ride. So good work. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak with uh, your listeners. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.